0: This is the Pool Together Community Podcast. Pool Together is the world's number one, no-loss, prize savings account. You can visit PoolTogether.com to deposit. You're listening to the Pool Together Community Podcast. I'm your host, Millie Yearly, a.k.a. Tim, a.k.a. I'm not caffeinated enough today, so we'll see how this plays out. And I'm here with Michael from Tahoe. Michael, thank you for being here on the Pool Together Community Podcast, sir. Oh, thanks for having me. Stoked. That's right. We have a real life soundboard here. Hey, so so what are you doing in crypto? How'd you get here? Oh man, long time, long time. Do you want the
1: TLDR or like the full juicy? You Listen,
0: know? we got an hour, and it, the juicier you can make it, the probably that we're looking for downloads here. We're looking for listens.
1: All right, all right, all right. Especially since we're doing it live here. So. Where to begin? So I first started to tumble down the rabbit hole in 2014. So I've been in the space a long time now. And at the time, the space was really Bitcoin. This was pre-Ethereum, you know, before Ethereum was was even really, I guess it was a concept at this point, but uh, most people didn't know about it. The ecosystem at the time was really Bitcoin and some static. So I found out about Bitcoin initially from a friend of mine, from college, who I randomly bumped into in lower Manhattan, you know, uh, some point in 2014. And like a lot of people that had gotten their hands on Bitcoin in the early days, I believe he was a little bit of a silk rotor. No, don't quote me on that. But, you know, that's how I, you know, this friend of mine is how I first heard about Bitcoin and it kind of blew my mind. When I was an undergrad, I got really into sort of the anthropology of money. With one of my professors was this famous sort of delusional Marxist theorist, and I had gotten, gotten pilled on. Oh my god, what is money? It's a social construct. All this stuff, and I just sort of decided, okay, well, look, you know, we have nation-state issued currency. That's how things are going to work, basically, for the next couple hundred years during my lifetime. We're not going to really see anything change there. So when I first learned about Bitcoin, and this again is like seven years ago, it really just completely blew my mind the fact that you could have this totally different regime of money or currency and then like a lot of people when i started to hear about the early ethereum vision which is sort of you know extending that not just from you know monetary policy to all sorts of other things it just completely blew my mind so around 2014 to 2015 i was going to a lot of early bitcoin meetups in new york city this was like when Bitdevs was just getting started this was also when consensus, you know, Joe Lubin's entity, was starting to be formed. This before consensus even started. And I just got pretty pilled on the early Ethereum space back in 2014, 2015. And there were all sorts of crazy ideas floating around in the space. And it's been kind of wild to see them slowly actually start to get realized. I mean, DAOs at the time were kind of the craziest, most futuristic thing anyone could think of you know, regarding Ethereum. And now, you know, we're kind of living in that reality, which is pretty special. So basically, 2014, 2015, I got pilled on Bitcoin. I got really excited pre-launch about the vision of Ethereum. 2015 to 2018, I moved into the space full time. I was working in a company called AlphaPoint, which is now basically building the Chivo wallet in El Salvador. And then from 2018 to 2021, I moved to a different company. I went more into the consumer space, and I worked with a gentleman named Jameson Lopp. If you guys have any exposure to the Bitcoin space, he's kind of like the canonical Bitcoiner, big beard, hardcore libertarian guy. Lots of guns buried in spider holes behind his house and uh, in different places around the U.S. And we basically made what I think is by far the best uh, high security multisig Bitcoin wallet. Uh, they're now actually, since I'd left adding support for Ethereum, which is awesome. But around 2021, I started to get really, really interested in coming back and working on Ethereum. I, my mind was blown by what had happened in DeFi from, you know, 2019 onwards. And I just thought there was a really, really interesting opportunity to do uh, something in the wallet space. And that's kind of what brought me to Thesis and uh, the project that we're incubating now on Tahoe, which at the time was called TallyHo. So... Yeah, that's my, that's kind of like the fast forward version of me getting radicalized by early Bitcoin and then the early Ethereum vision and then pivoting over to full time to the space 2015. Working on the, basically working on a B2B SaaS project for three years, going into the consumer space in Bitcoin for another three years after that. Um, and basically the last, yeah, two years been heads down on Tahoe. So, you got
0: to talk about Ledger then. Uh, and we can, again, you know, <laughs> we, but I I would just want to hear Like when you talk about a multi-sig, like super secure Bitcoin co- storage wallet or something, and then we see what's happening with Ledger, which is like, hey, you know, for the benefit of features, you can actually share a portion of your key uh, with product or something like that. I, I, I haven't really fully delved into it, but I, I just see the knee-jerk reaction of like this is garbage we must go to other things you know just like like a drop of the hat boom everyone hates ledger today
1: for some reason so uh, any thoughts on that yeah i mean you know i'm definitely a ledger user personally i've got sort of mixed feelings on it right i i'd actually i need to kind of go through all the documents that they i mean i need to go through all the stuff and make sure i got a understanding for how this is all going to work but yeah in general it's it's definitely a bit scary that you know there's api access to your key material i mean i think the main thing i would say about this is like honestly for for like the mother load of your funds like you really want to make sure you eliminate like pretty much every single single point of failure you can think of and there that means like a geographic point of failure so don't have all, you know, all your phones in a hardware wallet in just one place. That also means like the vendors you're working with. Um, so it the multi-sig system we put together, you know, the, the motto is basically just eliminate every single point failure you possibly could. So it was multi-sig, multi-location, multi-device. So it was a three to five multi-sig. You'd have one key on your phone, one key. CASA held multiple uh, copies of. And then the other three keys you would keep on different hardware wallets ledger, a treasure, a cold card, and you would keep them in different geographic locations, typically with different security profiles, right? So you would have one, maybe you'd have one at home in a safe, one at a bank, you know, one in another kind of secured access location. A lot of our clients were pretty, pretty extreme, which we really encouraged, and they would even keep them in different jurisdictions, right? So if you're in the US, you know, maybe you don't want more than one or two keys in the U.S. You know, maybe you want to keep some in Europe um, if you have family in South America, that kind of thing. So all of which is to say, yes, I n- need to kind of better look at what Ledger's doing. But it, yeah, I mean, it certainly makes me nervous like a bunch of other folks. But I would also say, to be honest, like no one should be using a single hardware wallet for the mother load in general. There are all sorts of, you know, we think the key material can never leave a hardware wallet. That's just honestly not true. You know, generally, if you have a fairly sophisticated you know, attacker, there are, you know, there are there are ways to exfiltrate key material. This is a little bit scarier because um, there's, you can do this programmatically, but, you know, I think it doesn't change the core advice, which is don't put everything in one device. You want to, you know, yeah, I mean, there's there's more I could say about this, but early, you know, overall, I'm a huge fan of what Ledger has done for like the industry. This does look a little bit scary, but I think we're also going to see a lot of experimentation over the next couple of years trying to get, we're basically, we just try to take the edge off self-custody in general. Like you're seeing more and more like MPC wallets. Like this also makes me a little bit nervous, to be honest, but the current regime of like asking users to defend their seed phrase is just, you know, it's, it's you know, not going to scale for another, like for the next 1 billion people that are going to use crypto. So it's a bit of a long rambling response but no one should trust just one hardware wallet or just one vendor period anyway i like that they're i like the direction ledger is heading in um it would be nice if there's maybe a different way technically they could they could try to get the same consumer experience they're gunning for
0: and listen if you're doing all that stuff that you just said like like even jurisdiction wise i mean you can you get to put detail oriented on your linkedin okay because that i mean that's that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's some type based stuff, which is great. Uh, I do know like I like I admire wallets like Argent, which is doing which is doing social recovery, but then totally. also you could use hardware wallets with that, right? So it's like this kind of uh abstraction of a multi-sig. Um they they do time based stuff, which is really great uh as well. But yes, that's the whole thing is is there's this drive to ab- abstraction, but uh, along with the drive to abstraction, there's gotta be a, a drive for security as well. So We can't just, like, yes, you can make everything easy to access, but that also means way more scams. That also means way more, you know, rugs uh, are possible,
1: you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, the only other thing I'd flag here is I I do think we're going to see a general blurring between, you know, in the past, it's been either total custody, right? You're just sending your funds to an exchange or third-party custodian and, you know, knock on wood, they don't lose it, or B, you know, you've got your seat, seed phrase, you know, in, you know etched into a metal plate and a spider hole in you know, your backyard and redundant, you know, backups and different. So it's either like, you know, full custody or full self-custody. I think we're going to see those things blend a lot more over the course of the next couple of years. And I think they're going to be, you know, a couple two step forward, one step back situations. And maybe you could put what Ledger's doing into that. But I think it's a place we need to experiment in because I think, you know, asking everyone to defend a seed phrase is unfortunately just a, a high bar. Yeah. And also, like,
0: maybe just don't hold all your Starbucks Odyssey NFTs in one place, you know, like d- divvy them up a little <laughs> bit, you know, that's also a single point of failure. So, yeah. so you're that's so interesting, though, you going, Michael, from this like super secure, you know, sp- you said spider hole a couple times. So that, that I want to <laughs> yeah, know, my. I want to know about spider holes, but, but, uh, but to, to Tahoe, which seems to be like, you know the user friendly wallet right it's it's you've got a puppy you're you've got a puppy as your as your logo so um there's like this kind of like best friend vibe that you have with your wallet so how, how'd you how'd that
1: happen well so i would say i'd say two things we actually take security super seriously at tahoe i think as much as at casa but casa to be honest like we we try and do some of the same things there as well so Our lead product designer at Tahoe, or I'm sorry, at Casa, previously was one of the main designers at Tinder. So, which, it's actually funny if you look at the two apps side by side, a lot of the things with just on button weight, illustration style, was actually very similar to Tinder. So Scott, amazing guy, wrote a book called Designing People Love Anyone, or Designing Products People Love Anyone who's like an aspiring product designer, I would definitely recommend checking that out. It's like an O'Reilly book. And but yeah, anyway, so the whole mission at Costa was like how can we take the most hardcore, intense, you know, sort of paranoid tinfoil hat, because that's how we were, approached to security and make that like a really cute, lovable, reassuring experience, right? And we're doing something very similar with Tahoe. So we also our product design lead at Tahoe is incredible. I don't want to dox him too much, but he was the original designer on MetaMask years ago back in 2015, 2016. And MetaMask was, you know, one of my favorite early crypto projects back in the day. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I would say I don't see these two things as radically incompatible, but yeah, I mean, there's a very different security profile. You know, Tahoe is very focused. I mean, it's you know, right now, it's just a browser extension. We'll be in other form factors at some point. I'd imagine as soon as next year, maybe even the first half next year. But it's much more about interacting with dApps and being a Web3 user. We don't encourage folks to put the mother load of their funds in Tahoe, right? That's where you want to use a hardware wallet. Um, we actually do have a ledger integration, probably be adding support for Trezor and maybe, you know, maybe a few other hardware wallets later on. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, there, so there's actually a few other elements to the brand as well that are going to come into focus a lot more over the course of the year, but yeah, it's basically a dog in the forest. And one thing we haven't talked too publicly about is um this, The forest is actually a reference to Dan Robinson's piece about Ethereum being a dark forest. So we feel like, you know, Ethereum in general, like the security landscape, you know, can definitely be kind of a scary place. And you want to have a trusted friend, you know, a dog, a wallet to help, you know, look over your shoulder, make sure you're pointing towards the right opportunities, all that good stuff. So that's, I don't know, definitely something we baked into uh, how we think about, like the wallet and how it fits into folks' lives. Yeah, I don't know much more to oh i've got questions don't get me
0: started on dark forest uh that's there's the three-body problem trilogy and this the second book in the series is called the dark forest yeah and the idea i guess this is similar to what you're talking about i mean this is the dark forest principle is that in a dark forest there are predators and the reason that you don't see predators is because they're predator they're 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 predating, they're, they're hunting, right? Yeah, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. they're hidden. And that's the reason why we haven't discovered aliens is because, well, of course, space is a dark forest and there's only a limited habitable space. And so, you know, you don't want to out yourself. Like we are screaming into the dark night saying, anybody out there? You know, of course you can't. Anyway, so that's, that's part of that. But I do see the star in the branding, right? There is the dog and there are the stars. And so, right, so that's also, I guess, the dark forest kind of branding as well what else I, I love this stuff No, we i've never had a conversation about branding like this so do you have any other nooks crannies, secrets what about the spider holes
1: okay um so yeah a spider hole just yeah there's there's i'm we haven't thought about this but yeah i mean maybe we can have an element where you're um digging spider holes in the forest and so just just because this keeps coming up so um yeah so, weapons, so, there are assault rifles in those spider holes which i'm yeah, like that's a, yeah. that's a large spider hole yeah, so for folks who don't know, I mean, a spider hole could, of course, you know, in, in biology be a hole where a spider would live. But, um, you know, in kind of proper parlance, a spider hole is basically, you know, a, a underground cache where you can keep, you know, supplies for when, quote unquote, you know, the event or some kind of crazy apocalyptic event occurs. Right. So you could have weapons, you could have foodstuffs, you could have seeds, you could have gold, you could have your ledger. you know you could have whatever in there and so there's definitely no reason you know you couldn't have a spider hole in the forest as well though you know that's 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 taken a little bit of a backseat to the dog our branding but yeah i mean the basic idea (laughs) thanks you have the three body problem is like the perfect reference there i mean yeah dan's piece in i think it's it was a medium post initially but it's been moved to the paradigm blog was all about You know, applying that concept of, hey, you don't want to signal what you're doing because if you do, predators are going to come after you. Basically applying that to the problem of MEV in, you know. Yeah, totally. You're just doing a transaction, you're going to get swarmed on by searchers. Interestingly, you know, in doing some more background research on the dark forest theme, I also noticed that one of the co-founders of Kickstarter, I believe, Yancey had a post about the internet in general being kind of a dark forest. Obviously, you know, if you're just a normal user, you're not, you know, you're not doing, you know, MVPable transactions. But if you're just leaving a data trail on the normal web, um, getting cookied, you're basically, you know, sending up a flare and asking, you know, ad tech giants to swarm on you, right? And, And, you know, in that sense, the internet is kind of a scary, dark place. And a lot of what his argument is about, and other folks have followed on about this, is the need for cozier spaces on the internet, right? And... I think Facebook was trying to do these with Facebook groups, but I really think the Discord and Discord groups um, have emerged as like the dominant form of, you know, kind of an enclave uh, in internet culture. So instead of the wide open social networks like Twitter, which are kind of a battlefield of insults or, you know, getting cookied everywhere you go in your browser, Discord is a little bit more of a safe space. So anyway, these are some of the conceptual waters that we've been playing in. It's like, what would sort of, you know, companionship and. Uh, more cozy Web3 experience look like? And how can we bring that to users inside the wallet instead of just through Discord? That's kind of a question without an answer. You know, it's something we want to keep asking and thinking about, but it's one that's like really important to our team. You know, a lot of the Web3 experience is pretty solitary in some ways, you know, unless you're on Discord or on Twitter all the time, but the actual wallet UX feels pretty solitary. And if we have a community-based project, you know, what are some ways... You know, what are some things around like the UX paradigm that we can do to to change that and make the user feel, you know, a little bit more watched out or a little bit less isolated?
0: Yeah, I like that idea of enclaves and th- 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 I, thinking about Discord as such, thinking about communities as such. I think in the three-body problem trilogy, the, the the chess move, like the ultimate weapon is actually revealing your opponent or revealing... So, so like shining the light and basically alerting everyone to someone else's position. So I'm trying to think of the crypto, the crypto version of that. But as I do that, I would love to follow up with another question, which is how does one wallet in, in a wallet space? You know, like there's, there are these, you know, there's, it's the same thing I could ask like a dApp. It's just like what, who, who's the, who's the Tahoe target market? Who's that enclave? What's that sweet spot for Tahoe?
1: And uh, and what's what does growth look like? Totally. So we have a bunch of different data points on our users. So our user base is pretty international right now. I'd say it's spread pretty evenly over the Americas, Europe, and uh, basically like throughout Asia. What I have found is that sort of like the prevailing trait is that people who are using our wallet and then becoming community members are just folks who love the idea of a user-owned wallet. And if there's one thing that folks are really passionate about, it is just ensuring sort of uninterrupted access for like two Web3, for users, regardless of where they live, right? So... You know, I wouldn't say we're going, oh, we're going after, you know, the preteen market or, you know, we're going after, you know, 30 and 40-year-olds in Europe. We don't think of it like that. We've got pretty broad spread, at least according to, you know, totally optional feedback surveys that we send out in terms of, you know, age, geographic location, and all that stuff. Most of our users, for what it's worth, have been in the space for at least six months. I would say like six months to three years is kind of like the sweet spot. But it's users, I would say, who... I don't know, are just kind of believers, to be honest. I mean, I would put myself in that camp. Most of our core team is in that camp. But it's folks who love the idea of a wallet where, you know, value isn't, like, siphoned away to investors, but is, like, reinvested back in the community. It's folks who care a lot about, like, transparency in terms of, like, how is this thing run? How, is, how are decisions made? And then, yeah, like I also said, like, just ensuring, like, you know, pretty durable access to Web3, that would be kind of another like core value that keeps keeps cropping up again and again and again. We have like a couple aces of our sleeves on like the growth front um, that I, I can't totally drop now, but... um, Aww. But, but if you, but, you know, um, we are, you know, we are obviously a community-owned project. They're, the formal DAO launch should be coming up pretty soon. And if you combine that with some of the ideas we have around like, okay, how can we make... How can we make the Web3 experience a little less single player and a little bit more multiplayer? I don't know. Hopefully that that gives a hint of some of the things that we've got in store. I think basically like once the DAO goes live, which is be pretty soon now, to be honest, um, we've been working towards it in public, you know, over the last year, year and a half. Once that goes live, we're going to be experimenting with a lot of ways to, yeah, just make the core Web3 wallet experience feel more like you're participating in a community than just like you're farming alone in the wilderness. Um, and we have some really cool ideas around that. And honestly, Pull Together has been, you know, one of the projects that we think does a good job with some of this stuff. So,
0: yeah. We, and so what what would be other projects that you think, like, that the community kind of rallies around? Right, because you're a wallet. I mean, this is I love that. Community-owned wallet, of course, like, for swapping, for any sort of, like, fee-related thing that wallets could be engaged in. It'd be awesome to have the community benefit from that. But But I'm wondering, like, what are those, like, are there any niches in the community where they're like, yeah, we have like a crazy Axie infinity group or we have like a really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. people love buying like NFTs that, that are already at zero. And I don't know, like any, any sort of insights like that with the community?
1: Oh yeah. That's a great call out. I mean, so I would say, I mean, I feel like it's true the ecosystem in general, but we have a lot of, a lot of our users are heavy, just Arbitrum, optimism users for what it's worth. So we're, We have a great relationship with the Optimism team community. We love what they're doing. I think compared to other wallets, a lot of what our users are doing is on L2. I think that's probably one of the biggest differences, actually. So if you look at, you know, it's a little bit different now the last couple months because they've been doing They've released some rewards. But if you look at, say, you know, the percentage of swaps that we have on, you know, Binance or Ethereum versus Optimism and Arbitrum, us versus, say, Metamask or Rainbow. For the latter two, Metamask, predominantly Ethereum and Binance. If I recall correctly, up until about a month ago, Rainbow was almost entirely Ethereum. For us, it's exactly the opposite. It's, you know, Arbitrum and Optimism are probably historically like 80, 90 percent of you know, the swaps that happen in our wallet. And you can see that on the 0x dashboard, you know, public dashboard, all of our swaps go through 0x. That's probably the 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 main community I'd, I'd, you know, that's probably the main thing I'd mention in that regard. I mean, the other thing is obviously, like, we like dog memes, obviously. There's just, like, a shocking amount of dog stuff. And also, I found that a lot of our, like, a lot of our most dedicated community folks, like our our moderators, everyone, unsurprisingly, has at least, like, one dog some people have like three to four dogs it's actually kind of shocking i mean i live in new york so that's very ambitious but same yeah i I,
0: I love dogs i I love all animals i am a cat i have many cats because and and by that fact it's hard to have dogs but i like dogs how many times like is who let the dogs out like forbidden right is it are you past that like you can't make any sort of reference to that obviously
1: oh my god what so (laughs) if you've been on any of our community calls no, no worries That's, if you have it, but wait sorry what no i have i have but i
0: came late but are you are you saying that like that that you play that song all the time yeah
1: so there was there was a period a season yeah there was yeah there, there was a period of time where before the community call started like who let the dogs out was just on loop and, <laughs> and people just started showing up later later for the call Exactly. And, yeah. It's, so, <laughs> so, yeah. Who let the dogs out? I don't know. We may bring it back at some point, but um, <laughs> but we've taken a break from it for a little while.
0: It's so funny that like that stuff can just get old, but then like there are TikTok songs or there are meme songs that will never get old. Like Pump It, Loom Dart. Everybody always plays the, it. Like there are just these things that like there. There's like a I don't know a popular song, and I guess maybe it maybe it is has achieved meme status I mean this is we're getting into the philosophy of tech here now i don't I know what is meme status like uh so so I want to ask you a question about that. who is your favorite pop philosopher Who's i just I just creeped you on you on Twitter, so I looked at your twitter Twitter bio and says that you did philosophy of tech, so I I'm did, a, I love yeah philosophy as well. Um,
1: so. So I wouldn't say he's a philosopher per se, but the person that comes to mind who I'm most excited about right now is actually let me make sure I get his name. You're gonna right. say you're gonna say Slavoj Zizek, aren't you? Um you know what? Actually, he is I do recommend his movies, but no, I would actually say there's a sociologist from Stanford named Fred Turner, who I'm really, really into now. He wrote a book in, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago that I'm about halfway through called from counterculture to cyberculture, and it's all about how basically early computing culture in the you know the 60s and even some stuff sort of in the 1950s came out of and sort of interrelated with like the hippie movement, like the counterculture movement, and it's all about the transformation of like how computing started out and you know like really in like the early 60s being seen of as like you know this cold instrument of the cold war and the nation state to becoming more you know a way for like a tool for people who wanted to you know opt out and create a new type of society you know probably the most obvious example in pop popular culture of like the computing industry ripping on themes from the counterculture is just apple you know like it's almost painfully obvious but it's 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 actually like a pretty remarkable translation so a lot of that book is around how, you know, folks living in communes and, you know, the Stuart Brand, you know, who started Polar Catalog, really kind of got computers into the hands of hippies. And it really changed our sense of like, what computing is and what it could do. And obviously, a lot of that trickles down into the crypto space, right? Like, a lot of what we're thinking about is like, well, how can we design new types of communities, you know, new types of monetary monetary systems, something that's not quite a country not quite a you know i'd say DAOs are kind of like somewhere in between small companies and small countries right that's the way they're trending probably over the next 10 to 20 years so you see a lot of these things in crypto and um just digging into some of the history around that has been kind of mind-blowing so yeah fred turner from counterculture to cyberculture that's one of the things i'm probably most interested in now
0: love that i love that also just me from the maybe outside i, I come from nonprofit marketing professionally Oh, cool. uh, but I but I do like you know music and I, there's I do I do a lot of things I have ADD but there's um, there's the, you know I always wanted to get into tech and so for me that was like web two tech uh, yeah, yeah, up yeah. until a certain point and then like when I got into crypto and and like um, full time November 2021 I was like just surprised with the community aspect of it like how community wins and of course that makes sense to me but but for me coming like as an outsider as somebody who's like into like always on the bleeding edge of tech but like not in the tech industry and had been rejected from uh you know jobs specifically because I had not been in tech and then when I'm in like tech but like crypto tech you know I was, it's like oh my gosh everything is relationally based here it's all <laughs> it's all about like what you said about these like safe spaces these communities these these enclaves and then and then, how technology can accentuate the experience of that community and how it can serve that, or how you can band together to do that, I guess that's what this is i mean it, like uh, that totally makes sense putting the computer computer into the hands of hippies, which would seem like some sort of like anti computer system, and even going to East Tokyo, go to this hackathon, my very first one, got to participate. Oh, cool. And then nice. seeing like, oh, everybody's nomadic and this is their community and this is what they're doing with their lives is like going to to these hackathons and just like putting stuff together. But seeing the community aspect of that and how, how much that is very, I don't know, to an outsider, to like my mom, that would be like, oh, that's so weird. I would think it was very people just down in their monitors. And and how the community is so vital to all of this is so. I guess Fred Turner, I can read this this book and, and enlighten myself even further in this aspect. Love, yeah, that. no, it's
1: interesting stuff. I mean, yeah, what what you're describing with the um, yeah, the conference nomads. I mean, yeah, it's digital vagabonds. You know, not you know, instead of following, uh, I know, instead of you know, following the Grateful Dead or whatever folks are going around. Uh, right, you know, following the you know Ethereum conference circuit. Yeah, but same thing. Yeah, but you know the thing that's a, a trip is like the hippies actually were pretty high tech in some ways. Like, yeah, there's a huge back to land side of this, but there, are... <laughs> but you know they were I don't, you know they had geodesic domes, they had ham radios,
0: yeah. you know, they had like methods of communication. Yeah, I, yeah this is this is so. Uh, I could talk about this forever, but you don't have anything to say on Slavoj Zizek, do you? Because we have, we have like kind of a cool, like the pull together community. There, there are some in the community that love Slavoj. So I don't know any thoughts on
1: on that before oh, I move
0: on to my next question.
1: Yeah. So I've definitely read a bunch of his stuff. I mean, in a very different life, you know, I was starting a you know, grad school basically in um, critical theory, you know, English continental literature. And you, e- you know, Boy, he's kind of a celebrity, but he also, for many years, is a pretty legit scholar. Yeah, I've read some of his stuff. I read his book on violence. I've read a bunch of his so many books around the con. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, my yeah. I think, I've actually been mean to rewatch my girlfriend, his, his crazy movie on Hitchcock and David Lynch. What is it? The Pervert's Guide to Cinema. Have you seen that?
0: No, no. I've only watched his YouTube clips, and I have a bunch of his books that I've read, like, pieces of. But no, I need to, now I'm like, oh, he's got movies? I'm on that.
1: No, th- this movie is amazing. I think it's e- easily the best film on films that I think I've seen ever. So it's him going through, giving his commentary on different movies. I think he talks about E.T., he talks about everything. But a lot of it is sort of, you know, David Lynch and Hitchcock. But the way they set it up is they recreate a lot of the sets. And so they'll play a little segment from the birds. And then they'll have his voice, you know, overlaid and he'll be talking about it and then the next shot will be him in a recreation from the set oh so it's wow this very weird dynamic where he's weaving in and out of all yeah you know your favorite scenes from like the shining or you know rear window it's yeah. really well done anyway that's that's pretty cool well hold on if there's a room in your discord where you guys are nerding out as you no, just, have to it's really our
0: C- it's our cto and me basically is all i'm talking <laughs> about but like we we like geek out and now we call like I said something about I said Slavoy and our CTO Brendan was just got like flustered and he's like he, he just is like so smoke so now I just say so smoke all the time <laughs> Which I mean Slavoy But that's the thing is also and this is what happens with philosophers is you get so widely known and so widespread you kinda like it's you looked at it as like a sellout now, right? So like I feel like Slavoy has has achieved like such notoriety and such widespread you know is a youtube star now and then is like less of a philosopher because of that potentially but also like the most prolific i've never seen so many books from a philosopher in all of my being there's just so many books from slavoy but anyway. yeah, it's, it's it's shocking and they're pretty long
1: you know they're not sure. yeah
0: um dude rants that's what i th- think his books are is just his rants like it's just like going
1: off but yeah uh, i mean it's sort of like the it, neil stevenson phenomenon where you know even if I just don't understand how he's able to produce yeah. this kind of volume. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, So Slavory, I, I used to be a little bit more of, like, a Lacanian, who obviously he is as well. At some point, yeah. maybe around, like, 2014, I kind of got killed on, you know, you're on Derrida. I mean, you always have to... It's, like, there's sort of four post-structuralists you can choose, right? There's, like, Lacan, Foucault, Derrida, or, um, you know, Deleuze, and I don't know, I guess I'm still a Derridian a little bit, but it's, like, the least fun, like...
0: <laughs> you gotta get you gotta you gotta pick the fun side. You, you gotta know. pick the fun side. I know. You I gotta mean, be the honest most... with yourself too. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so that was the philosophy section of our podcast. The very so we're we're doing like branding. The depth of branding that's a that's a new section to the podcast. And then we've also that now we've ha- had a philosophy section, the very first one. So this is great. We're starting to create some more structure for the pull together community podcast. Now let's go back to our OG structure of. What's the future? Where are we headed in this weird churning market, in this weird, you know, account abstraction, AI, public good themed
1: crypto space right now, Michael? Oh, man, I know. It's interesting. So I think it's a, so many many things I could say, so many things I could say here. I'm trying to think what the right thread to start is. So one is I think AI is definitely putting pressure on crypto and Web3, at least in like venture capital circles to kind of put up, shut up, show show us the goods, you know? There's definitely, we definitely don't want to seem like, you know, a a fad that didn't make good on its promise, right? We don't want to be 3D printing as it were, right? Remember- Oh, damn, shots fired. Shots fired, right? We don't want to be- you know, oh, my God, this thing that's going to revolutionize all manufacturing. And then, oh, actually, what happened to that? Right. Um, I guess MakerBot's doing OK and maybe got acquired. I don't remember. We we want to avoid that outcome. Right. And so much like VC excitement I mean, in California, but kind of broadly is just moving from kind of Web3 to AI. Right. So I think we really as an industry, like it's time to like double down and like actually make good on a lot of things that, you know, you know, that you know, we're all we're all here for. I think we can do it. I mean, that's what we're that's why I'm working on the project that I'm doing. But I think there's definitely been like a very different um, kind of conversation. Right. So that's one thing. So what do I think is going to happen over the like the next couple of years? I mean, I think we're going to continue to be in like a sideways market definitely through the end of this year. Maybe it'll go down a little bit, maybe it'll go up. You know, I mean, I'm pretty bullish on like in terms of like what's going to be around or behind the next bull market. I think I have like pretty unconventional or, I think I have pretty conventional thoughts here. I think L2s are going to be highly involved. I think we're going to th- see Ethereum basically become more cemented as, I don't know, like a state settlement layer that a bunch of different L2s and also just even t- different types of systems, some of which might not even be what we normally think of as blockchains, like token settle into. I don't think Bitcoin is going to go anywhere. I think Bitcoin makes sense as the reserve currency of, you know, basically of you know, whatever we want to call this, you know, the metaverse, this new, you know, post-national, you know, blockchain-based ecosystem that we're kind of chiseling out. Pretty bullish on Cosmos, to be honest, as well. It's kind of a different thesis. But I also think, you know, just unsurprisingly, like at some point, you know, the next like three to five years, we'll see another bull cycle. And I think we're going to see another use case that's probably already right in front of us that's really going to drive it. You know, like NFTs around for a really, really long time, but it wasn't until like, you know, 2020, 2021 that they really expanded everyone's, you know, understanding of, you know, what crypto was, right? It was the first, obviously, like, people buy and sell NFTs, they trade NFTs, but they're not, you know, financial on the same way that just tokens are. So I think we're going to see another use case like that. The smart money would be that it's going to be something related to identity, social networks, gaming, or probably a mix of all three. So I think there's going to be some kind of emergent use case, the beginnings of which we're already seeing now, that's really going to dramatically expand the field for, like, what the ecosystem is about, right? Last thing I would say, I guess, is, you know, on on the AI front, you know, I mentioned, like, you know, a lot of VC interest has turned there. I mean, I think, like, you know, there are very different types of technologies. You know, I think... I'll, I'll maybe leave with this thought. Uh, a friend of mine who's like probably one of the best acupuncturists in New York actually was really, really interested to know my thoughts on AI uh, you know, a couple months ago. And he felt like, you know, from his perspective, not as someone who worked as tech, he was like, you know, this is, this is what's happening in AI, you know, this is the beginning of sort of, you know, I could see the outline of a digital totalitarianism. It's like, yeah, you know, that's fair. And he, for him, you know, he really thought like, well, I could see, you know, crypto and these decentralized systems as sort of you know, the one sort of viable alternative to that. And so that might be stating it a little bit more dramatically than I would, but I do think there is there is something true. I think we're going to see like interesting ways in which you know, crypto and enclave communities act as a sort of counterweight or refuge to this sort of, you know, more, you know, you know data centralizing, you know, AI system. So pretty, pretty scattershot approach, but I mean, in general, something with social networks, something with gaming, something with identity, is going to come together in a really, really interesting way. I think over the next few years, I'd expect another bull market in not too long. Um, I don't think Bitcoin and Ether are going anywhere. And I think we're going to see some really interesting and unexpected ways that existing trends with AI and crypto, I don't know, come into harmony and also into conflicts with one another. So I think it's going to be, I don't know, exciting stuff. And then who knows what's going to happen geopolitically while all this is taking place. I mean, that's where it gets really weird, right?
0: Yeah. One thing that you said, I mean, and this is the credentialing part is the, is having the on-chain and the off-chain work together. So yeah. still doing the decentralization. So and like Disco XYZ, it took yeah. me a couple of conversations t- with them to, to, to get it, to be like, oh, so like when, when I pick my t-shirt size as a credential, I can choose to like reveal that and make that public or not, or I can like gate that. I can, I can, so so there are just ways of like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I don't have to pay gas for that. That's awesome. And I don't have to like, there. there's like how the on-chain and the off-chain work together with credentialing, like not everything has to be an NFT, but what if we had really cool things as NFTs or what if we had really cool things with credentialing? And yeah, so that interaction I think has been very interesting to me as well. But I, so I appreciate your feedback. That was really insightful and yeah, got, got the neurons firing, but uh, we should wrap up. But the way I want to wrap up is... Uh, Michael, with your advice on podcasting, because I know that you do podcasts, right? I I could just hear it in your voice. So do you have any any tips on making a successful podcast in this day and age?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think just book awesome guests and have, you know, five to 10 awesome questions. (laughs) I mean, and I think, you know, I don't know, that's totally prosaic. My friend, Carolyn, and I, who's also our I actually did a podcast as a COVID project back in like 2020 to 2021. I don't know. I mean, my favorite part about podcasting in general is just like the people you get to meet, you know? 100%. Yeah. And, yeah. The thing that worked for us was just, it would be so easy to like, just get in the flow of the conversation and then kind of out and be like, oh my God, what do we even talk about? So I don't uh-huh. know. My podcasting advice, it sounds like you're already doing it, is just to have, you know, five to 10 questions that can get the conversation right back where you want to be and, and yeah about. but i think yeah. you guys are doing an awesome job already
0: well i appreciate that and this has been really fun talking to you about this stuff and 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 so for me though where i go for because because been doing this i think this is like we're in our 60s g- getting up on 70 episodes and oh, wow. uh and we do it every week uh unless like you know there's a conference or something that that or or unless We've been ghosted or the other thing is I book like at least a month out in advance. And so sometimes projects like close or fail you know, fail. Oh <laughs> no. no, no <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's crypto. It's crypto, baby. But I you know, I'm always like, should we do SEO? Should we put it on YouTube? Should we have it on video? Should we not record in Discord? Should we it's, I'm always like going but you're so right. I mean, this it's the same thing with marketing a product. It's like the product has to be pristine. Like the product needs to be like really accessible and, and what people like. And then this other stuff like SEO and, and the platforms that you put it on and everything accentuates that. But it's like focusing on like the booking and the the podcast prep
1: and the, the actual conversations that we can have. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's tough because, you know, what we found is we did, yeah, I think we only did like, you know, 10 episodes or something. But one of our episodes with uh, Daniel Schmachtenberger was over half of our total listens, you know? So you never know which episodes are going to take off. The right. other thing that I found is I always thought, okay, you know, wow, we interviewed you know, Jameson on this podcast. You know, he's got 200, 300,000 Twitter followers. You know, when he retweets it, we're going to get a huge flood in. What, what I've sort of learned partially from my own experience and then partially from talking to folks is, you guys, you just got to get on lists, you know? Got to get on the list. What are the best, you know, 10, 20 crypto DeFi projects uh, or podcasts? Because otherwise, the stuff on social is just, like, too transient to really, like, convert. And that's that's what we found. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Get on lists? Like, like just go to... Okay. I'm like, wait, there's lists? So well, you, you know, like, people oh, have... Like, you want a Google
0: search. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what we...
1: Yeah, ideal scenario would be someone's, like, okay, what are the top 10, you know, someone Google's best crypto community podcast, you know, and yeah. people are going to have all sorts of listicles around that. And, you know, if you're on those, that's... Oh that like just pays dividends
0: nice okay so
1: if i can't get on some
0: then i'll just manufacture my own right and then just (laughs) sao those that's right all
1: right we got a job for the growth guild that's right (laughs) listicles lists so very cool very cool you got yeah you guys got a i mean you guys got a massive you know inbuilt community and stuff too so yeah yeah, I think it's and super it, smart also to do it on Discord. We we would always record see? ours. I think it's smart. Yeah. So we would record ours just using yeah, Zencaster or something and then just right. know, put it down on Spotify and Apple after.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like video, but then uh, like the the thing about like this is I can just send people a Discord link, they show up and then, you know, whatever mic they're using, it's fine and and we can go and then You know, and then sometimes people bring in like crazy amounts of community and there's like a lot of questions and it it gets really cool. I don't don't know. Yeah, I like this, but I always doubt the Discord thing, too. I'm like, oh, we should probably do this like on video or whatever. So I appreciate that. The other thing that's helpful is like when I have a conversation with somebody like just random person and they're like, oh, hey, I've been listening to your podcast. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I know, <laughs> so, I know. like when that happens, it's just like yeah, the 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 wind is in the sails. It's like okay, I can I know, do another another forty episodes off that. You know, just, just being helpful to helpful <laughs> to somebody. So, but, awesome. yeah, but yeah, but listen, you know, having the awesome guests, we're, we got that unlocked today. So thank you, Michael, for being our awesome
1: guest on Thanks. the Pulled Together well, Community Podcast i'm sorry i'm like user fan of pull together we love what you guys are doing uh we actually want to do some stuff with you guys in the future it's gonna have some dm around that that's but yeah it was, it was awesome to be on um and you know what for my part i think discord is great video is not good i'm calling in from a spider hole so it would have been cameras <laughs> off anyway well
0: have a couple granola bars for me all right
1: <laughs> yeah, i'll have some dehydrated food
0: that's, and- right. that's right Your mres all right well thanks so much take care awesome Cheers, then. bye right. bye everyone bye. Thanks for listening to the Pool Together Community Podcast. You can visit pulltogether.com to deposit and we'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode. So visit the Pool Together Discord and let us know.